There's a ton of frameworks and templates for building good sales decks. I like them all, almost all of them. But I think sometimes the PMM function, we over-rotate on frameworks and templates. That's okay. It's important to have the frameworks if it does not kill your creativity. So what I'm saying is that the idea matters actually even more than the discipline you're going to put into this. You are listening to This is Product Marketing, brought to you by Product Marketing Hive, the product marketing community that gives back. In this episode, Julian Savage, Vice President of Corporate and Product Marketing at Clary, shares his experience in building a great sales stack with storytelling. Let's dive into it right now. Thank you for joining us today, Julian. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Louise, and hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. First, um, let's get started with a short introduction. Uh, a little bit of background, how did you get into product marketing? Yeah, I get that question a lot, to be honest. I always say I wish there was a, a business school for PMM or some kind of like curriculum for PMM, but there's not, right? So uh, people typically come to PMM from different background. Uh, for me, it was pre-sales. I was a solution engineer before, uh, and I, I think it's a pretty natural bridge going from SE to PMM because you're still customer facing, right? Um, and you're like in pitch mode, you're telling stories. It's just that you go from a one-to-one type of interaction to a one-to-many interaction. That's my background. And I uh, stayed in PMM ever since, and it's been 10 years and I just love the, the function. That makes sense. So you're currently working as the Vice President of Corporate Marketing and Product Marketing at Clary. Can you tell us a little bit more about your current role and responsibilities? For sure, yeah. Uh, I know people react badly to corporate. Uh, when they hear corporate, uh, they think, oh my God, what is this? So maybe I need to change that name. Uh, what the, the role is about is uh, I own the brand, the content, as well as the product marketing at Clary. Uh, so what is Clary? Clary is the leader in revenue collaboration and governance. Uh, we play in the rev tech, in the sales tech industry. Uh, which includes things like revenue operations, revenue intelligence, conversation intelligence. Um, and I have a team of about 20, 25 people. What we do is we create uh, narratives, we create experiences, we create content and stories uh, that will resonate with our buyer. And we're trying to bring the fun and keep the smile on all the time because I really believe that B2B tech tends to take itself all too seriously. And uh, and so we're trying to bring the fun to the brand. That's interesting. Our today topic is building the sales deck. Let's get started with the beginning, the foundation. So before working on the actual sales deck, what are the important pre-work that has to be done so they lay the foundation for a great sales deck? Yeah, I, I love that question because I think sometimes people just go straight to creation mode. And that's a mistake. You absolutely need to research your market, analyze what's out there. Uh, so that initial phase that we can call the gathering and the framing of market information is absolutely crucial. It might even matter more than the actual production and creation of the deck, right? And I think that's a part that's oftentimes overlooked. So. Just all of that is to say as an introduction, uh, thank you, Louise, for asking me that question uh, and bringing the awareness. Um, so I think there's multiple ways you can you can do that, right? You need to understand 
your market of reference. You need to understand your competitive landscape. Um, you probably already have some messaging that is working and maybe not working out there uh, in the trenches, right? In actual conversations. And so, you know, you would have to start with a big listening tour, really taking note of all the things that work and don't work. Talk to your prospects, talk to your customers, talk to your reps, your AEs, your CSMs, even your execs sometime. Try to identify the, the winning talk tracks, uh, read about the market, read about the trends, know what the competitors are doing, uh, how they're positioning themselves, what they're saying. If you're lucky enough as a product marketer to have a conversation intelligence solution like Clary, then go and listen to your Clary calls and try to find those common patterns and those pains. Uh, that part is absolutely crucial uh, and it has to be done and thought through for sure. Too many vendors always fall in that trap of being so inside out, right? Like they all, everybody's super self-centered. It's human nature, I believe. So I'm not blaming anybody, but everybody believes that their product is the best thing after a slice of bread. And you know, it's not. So you got to meet your buyer where they are. And I think to get that outside in perspective, you really need to spend time researching, listening, and um, and kind of embracing uh, what's happening in the market. It's not just about you, it's about them. Makes sense, thank you. From your perspective, what does a great uh, sales deck look like? And then maybe what are the important or necessary components that should be included? Yeah, that's such a... A question that seems uh, simple, but it opens a, a can of worms or for any product marketer. And uh, we could go and talk about what a good sales deck looks like for literally hours and hours. Um, so there's a few things. One is uh, a sales deck is just one channel, right? It's just one format to tell your story. It's not the only one. That same story, that same positioning has to apply throughout your channels, on your website, in your demo flows, in your white papers, da da da, da. So all of that is to say, my, my first thing is it's a, it's a format um, that actually, I think, has specificities in it. Uh, when you think about it, few other formats can carry that much uh, potential uh, visual impact as well as text. So it's it's a blend of text and images which really make it look like a like a billboard. And I always say that to my more junior PMMs, like treat every slide like a bill like a billboard. This is your billboard. You know, you go you drive south uh, on 101, whatever in the Bay Area. Well, you have those billboards. Like that could be a slide. So that is the format. Um, then I think. The way that a great sales deck uh, kind of, uh, you know, is structured is there's multiple frameworks. Uh, the, I would say the 90% of the of the sales decks that I've seen follow a pain solution framework, right? Pretty classical. So you set up the pain, you have a strong pain statement, create a little bit of that FOMO and, you know, fear of, you know, not acting on the pain. And then the next section, the second half of the deck is the solution. Uh, so it's a, it's a nice mirror type of structure. Um, and what I would say there is that typically 
and I learned that from Salesforce and, uh, and other companies do that as well. We do that as well at Clary. Uh, you start by writing your story and, and that's called the horizontal logic. So you, you, you take literally a, an Apple notes document, like something that has no design whatsoever, a word document, a Google doc, and you write the story in a few paragraphs. Then you take some of those main statements and you put them in a slide or in a sticky note if you want to go analog. And that gives you the flow. So you literally have an empty slide with just a strong title or a statement. And that's, that's the way you start building your horizontal logic. And then you worry about vertical logic, which is, okay, now I have my flow. I know what each slide should be talking about what do I put in that slide? And that's where you go uh, and do your kind of vertical logic. So sorry, long winded answer, but all of that is to say that sales decks follow a particular format, which is slides have to be, has to be treated as a billboard. And then pain solution is your, the best, the, the safest bet in terms of structure. And then finally, think about the horizontal logic first, nail your flow, and then worry about the vertical logic to populate each slide. Makes sense. So talking about vertical logic, in the sales stack, how should we talk about competition? Or should we talk about it? Competition. Good question. Um, I think you always, you never name a competitor, right? Like that's just free advertising to them. Uh, but of course, you have to acknowledge that there is competition out there. If you don't have competition, then it means you're not gonna sell your product because there's no market, right? Um, so I think it's it's always good to kind of like anchor your story on a little bit of like the market landscape, uh, acknowledging what has changed, uh, creating a little bit of that urgency, and then you get into the why change, why now? So I think there's, there's ways you can introduce the market and competitive landscape there. Uh, for sure. At the end of the day, it's all about differentiation, right? So if you if you have a strong POV, if you have differentiated value propositions, then there's no fear in talking about the broader market because you'll come across as more honest and transparent and also a stronger POV on that competitive landscape in that market. Makes sense, yeah. And then I also think sometimes some of the buyers sometimes rely on your, on your perspective to understand what's going on in the market and how uh, different tools can help me to resolve my problems. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes like th that's the thing about a, a deck. There's a there's so many ways a, a deck can can have a life of on its own, right? Sometimes if you're early stage, people just want to educate themselves. They want to learn what your point of view is on the market on its own. And so having something more of a thought leadership stance on where the market is and where it's going is gonna go a long way. But oftentimes you're a little later in the sales uh, uh, funnel in the, in the stage. And so then you need to be a little more on the nose and talk about actual product capabilities and differentiation and, and you know, like have that, that, that in mind. So I, uh, but I always like starting high and, and positioning yourself as the thought leader with a strong POV on the market. And then you can get into the details. Uh, I think too often people go straight to demo, go, they go straight to product. They want to show their stuff and, uh, and you need that education phase first. So 
start high and then zoom in and then maybe you can zoom back out again. Mm, great point, great point. What about pricing information? Should we include that or not? That's a controversial uh, question. I like it. I think, listen, I like transparency. Uh, I think it's a great value that a lot of vendors should embrace more. Uh, and I do like transparent pricing, uh, but it's not always easy to do transparent pricing and put your pricing public for many, many reasons that you can, you can all um, imagine. I think in a sales deck, I would typically have one pricing slide kind of hidden in the appendix so that the rep can use that if they're being asked or if they want to proactively bring that up. But I wouldn't have the price tag on that slide. I would talk about the bundles, right? Uh, pro, advanced, ultimate, enterprise, whatever, like talk about the SKUs, but not necessarily talk about the price tag yet because you're still building that value statement. You're still educating. You're still trying to agree on the pain and the price tag of a solution is going to be yet another way for the AE to go straight to solution without agreeing on the pain with their buyer. So I think that's the pitfall. Uh, I love transparency, but if you have pricing slides, again, your reps are going to jump straight to it too soon, too fast. Yeah, makes sense. Can you tell us a little bit more about problem part of it? When we are elaborating on the problem, what are the things that we need to uh, take into consideration or be look out for? Yeah, I think, well, it starts with a good hook, right? Like you need to play at the emotional level. Uh, you're going to need some data in there to quantify your problem, but you can't start with the data unless that data is so uh, massively impactful that it'll create some kind of emotional reaction. But if not that, then you have to, again, start really, really high and typically talk about something that everybody can acknowledge and agree on, right? I don't know. The world has changed. Remote work is here to stay. COVID has changed how we collaborate as teams. Statements that no one can deny. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so you need to start by getting that nod because then people are like, oh, yeah, okay, I can, I can listen to that person. So, like, start with a big thing, a big societal shift or trend that happened to get the nod. And then you get into, okay, what does that mean for the business? Like, what's the implication for you or you, for your market? And then you start painting that pain. And then people are like, oh, yeah, 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 remote work has made my employee productivity drop and it's not good. And then you hit them with that value stat or with that pain stat. Today, only a third of a seller's time is spent selling, making these up as we go. And then you pause, right? So I think that's the way you build a nice pain section. You start really high, you get the nod, you get into the, what does that mean for you? You, again, get the nod and the fear of missing out, and then you just hit them with a good stat uh, to make all of the things uh, more tangible. Great. I remember uh, in previous conversation we had, you pointed out that one of the challenges for sales tech is making that transition from the problems to the solution. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, um, I, I think there is a tipping point in your arc, right? In your flow. Uh, we talked about pain solution. And again, by the way, that's only one framework. There's other frameworks, but that's probably the most commonly used framework, pain solution. And so 
typically what you got to do is start building that fear of missing out, like that sense of urgency in the pain statement, and then pivot to the solution. But that transition has to be smooth and it has to also be visible, right? So I think there's a few ways you can do that. Back at Salesforce, if you go to like Dreamforce and you see any keynote presentation, you would have what we would call the what if slide. What if? What if there was a better world? What if we could defeat that enemy? What if the legacy didn't get in the way? What if there was a promised land? Da, 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 right? So that pivotal moment is typically where you go from pain to solution. That's extremely hard to nail because remember at this point you have spent time doing like dark stuff like pain statements and and problem statements and big big stats showing how everything is broken and you need to act now so people are like in a, almost in a in a state of anxiety in a way right they they can't wait for the resolution to happen after the tension that you built up and and so that transition has to be done in a very elegant way if it's too abrupt and if you switch from pain to solution too fast people are going to be confused so i like the what if i actually like even changing the color palette in my slides, the initial uh, half section can be a little more indexing toward like darker tones and, and can, you know, you can use font uh, color that's a little darker. And then the what if is kind of neutral as a color. And then the solution stuff becomes more of the brighter color palette that your brand has. So I think there's subtle and elegant ways to kind of achieve a good transition and then what I'll say is that now that you've done that and you did your what if there was a better world, uh, the solution section has to completely mirror what you have in the paid section. Um, and I think that's a miss sometimes that I see. People spend time building the pain. They get to their what if slide and then they almost like don't do the right payoff and they go to product and it's not great. So anything that you would have introduced in the pain section has to be paid off and has to be mirrored in, in the solution section. If you had unhappy customers at the beginning, you got to show them as happy now, happy faces, right? If you had an enemy in the beginning, you need to make sure you now have a guide or a hero. If you were talking about legacy systems, talk about the new way. So everything has to have that black and white from to before after kind of contrast uh, I think it's how the brains function. People like the symmetry of everything. They like to see the tension that then gets closed into a resolution and closing the loop. Thank you. That's very helpful. I've heard some product marketers and they say they find their new sales deck is not being uh, widely adopted by their sales team, even though they say it's a very good sales deck. Why do you think this happens? And then are there any ways that we can sort of avoid this or address this? Great question. I would say uh, if a sales deck isn't adopted by the sales team, then it means it's not good. <laughs> like you can't say, oh, it's a good sales deck, but it's not adopted by the sales team, right? Think good in that sense, like a measure of good would actually be adoption. There's multiple reasons why the sales team wouldn't adopt a new sales deck. One, because it's not great. So that can happen. Like not every deck is great. Uh, that's on PMM to refine and work harder. 
The other one, and which is probably one of the most common ones, is resistance to change. People are used to using the same three slides from three years ago over and over again, even if they don't actually work. Uh, so you come up with something better, with, with something new. The initial reaction is, oh, I'm out of my comfort zone. I don't want to use this. Why would I use it? Uh, so resistance to change is a big one for sure. The other one is enablement, right? Like sometimes PMM can be a little bit in their ivory tower and they're not super connected to sales. Uh, and, and because of that, there's like the enablement doesn't really happen. Like, or the enablement happen as a one-off, right? Like that's the most common mistake in enablement. You believe that you do one live training with all of the field on that new deck. And you think that's enough? You're wrong. Enablement is all about repetition and reinforcement all the time, right? Um, so that's another reason. Um, so I think if you if you take a hard look at what's happening uh, and why your sales deck isn't adopted, weak messaging, not enough enablement, and resistance to change can be the most common reasons. Uh, and with that in mind, I think the solution, you see what I just did here, pain solution. The solution is, uh, well, make sure the messaging is kind of built uh, in complete alignment with sales, back to the phase one of building your sales deck that we talked about, like doing the research and really and making sure you, you have that market knowledge. That's one way to make sure your messaging is gonna be relevant. Um, on the resistance to change, I think that has like the leaders have to show to lead by example, right? Like if your CRO goes on a all hands calls and uses that new pitch deck, people are going to follow them because it's their leader. So there's a lot to be said there. And finally, on the enablement piece, you know, that sales deck, it has to be mentioned over and over again. The repetition, the sustain, the reinforcement has to happen. It doesn't have to be a live training because it's expensive, right? To have all the salespeople in the same room together at the same time. But it could be with a learning path or it could be with a certification that you achieve on your own. You can give kudos to Jane and John because they adopted the last sales deck uh, and you give them a kudos on your Slack channel. So there's multiple ways to just celebrate and reinforce the, the new messaging for sure. Talk about the governance of the sales deck. Do you believe is there a life cycle to the sales deck? And then what does the governance process of it look like? Yeah, there's absolutely a, a life cycle. I'm glad you asked the question. There's a life cycle around sales decks. Like, I, I love all your questions, by the way. <laughs> Those questions are not always asked. Like people are always so focused on like the creation, right? Like, and, and I think PMM, like the, like one of the things about PMM is they create a sales deck and then they think their job is done when it's actually just starting. So yes, the creation of a V1 of a sales deck is almost like the first chapter, if you will. And then the deck would have a life on its own, a life cycle. And that has to be controlled. It has to be governed. Otherwise, it just becomes Frankendeck, uh, as, as you would say, right? Just like nonsense slides from board from multiple templates. And it's just, it's awful. So I would say the steps, if I were to summarize the, the steps, I think there's uh, seven steps total in, uh, in a deck life cycle. The first one is the one we discussed, which is 
gather and frame your market information. The second one is build the first draft of the narrative. The third one is iterate on that deck, getting people's feedback and just incorporating that uh, to, to make it better. The last fourth step is testing and finalizing the deck. So now you have a stable version, right? You don't have to blast the deck to everybody. You don't have to hard launch it. You can do a soft launch of some sort and you go to your sales champions, maybe by segment or by product line or by geo, what have you, and you have them go and pitch for you and just test it out on a smaller scale. Now, step five is everybody's ready. You're going to go and train everybody. So you're going to go and train your entire org, your GTM org about that deck and reinforce, as we said. The sixth step is capturing feedback. Now the deck is out there. You might have way more data points. So think about doing an A survey or talk to your reps and, and see what resonates, what doesn't. Listen to your carry calls. Do all those things. And the seventh and last step is measuring impact. Uh, measuring impact of that of that deck is no easy task, but it has to happen. Measuring impact in terms of adoption, in terms of whether this is actually moving the needle, uh, generating more closed one revenue, more pipe, what have you. These are the, the, the seven steps. Uh, mar market, uh, gather market info, one. Two, build the first draft. Three, iterate on that draft. Four, test and finalize. Five, train your GTM. Six, capture feedback. And seven, measure impact. Thank you. Thank you. So we're getting to the end of our time here. Do you have any final thoughts to share with fellow product marketers? Yeah, um, I like this question as well. I would say... There's a ton of frameworks uh, and templates for building good sales decks. I like them all, almost all of them. But I think sometimes the PMM function, we over-rotate on frameworks and templates. <laughs> it's such a PMM thing, right? Like we, we're going to be like, oh yeah, this is the framework off the shelf. That's okay. It's important to have the frameworks if it does not kill your creativity. So do all the things you have to do to stay creative. At the end of the day, it's going to be your ideas that will shine. It's not so much the structure. If you follow the perfect structure, but don't really have a strong idea or a strong POV, that deck is not going to be great. If you have a deck that has a bad structure, but a good idea, it's actually going to be better. So what I'm saying is that the idea matters actually even more than the discipline you're going to put into this. And so keep doing your thing. Do whatever works for you to stay creative. Uh, what works for me is get out, like get rid of that Zoom thing. And I don't want to be at my desk anymore. I go out, I take my, my notebook. I have no phone. I have my pen. And I just go on a creative walk. And I have ideas. And I wrote them down. And some of them are good. Some of them are awful. But at least I have my creative moment. So that would be my word of advice, if you will. Uh, yes, frameworks are great, but don't forget to be creative and be bold and be out there. That's how people will remember your messaging. Great, great, great. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to This is Product Marketing, brought to you by Product Marketing Hive, a product marketing community that gives back. Check out our website 
productmarketinghype.com to join our community, meet fellow product marketers, and access free resources, including training, playbooks, templates, and events. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and give a five-star rating on the platform of your choice. See you next time.